Good morning. Well, I sound a lot better that time, don't I? I knew I was going to forget that. You said don't forget, and I did. Well, when I walked in here today, someone said, well, glad you came back. And uh, I would say the same to you. I'm glad you came back. When the person said that to me, I wondered if uh, usually guest ministers don't. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm glad that this guest minister didn't drive you away. So uh, good to see you again. We're talking about God's wonderful promises for the bleak midwinter. And today, the one that we're looking at comes from Psalm 51, a very familiar passage, uh, so familiar that um, you might know it by heart. But as we begin to read, I ask you to look at this, what scholars call the superscription, the words at the top, which tell us who wrote it and why he wrote it. If your Bible's open and you look down, you will see that this is a psalm written by a very powerful man who did some terrible things. A man whose heart was as black with sin as his hands were red with blood. He's the one who gives us our promise for the bleak midwinter, which says, wash me and I will be whiter than snow. I will be whiter than snow. You've heard that many times. But we don't always experience it because we don't know how to claim that promise, how to live that promise, and so I invite you to listen with me to David's testimony about how he was washed that way. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence, or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. That's as far as we'll read for now. You'll be blessed with an open Bible, because I'm going to follow right along through some of that. You should also know there's a, a little outline of this sermon in your bulletin, the, the back of the order of worship that, again, might keep you from getting lost as I meander around up here. I wish I could read your minds right now because I'd like to know how you respond to Psalm 51. I can imagine that some of you respond with good old-fashioned guilt. Like the young woman who sat in my office some time ago sobbing about her life 
She said, I don't think I'll ever be able to forgive myself after what I've done. She was a fine Christian woman, young woman, raised in a devout Christian Reformed home. She had attended church and catechism and Christian school, and she'd gone to a Christian college. That's where she met her Christian husband. They had a Christian marriage. And then for some reason, things started to go south in their marriage, so much so that, well, when that man at work began to get really friendly, she got friendly back, and things became intimate, and that led to the affair that she was now confessing in my office. She felt absolutely trapped. She could not imagine going back to her marriage because it had become so grim and cold. And yet she knew that what she was doing was absolutely wrong. Not just because the church said so. She wasn't saying to me, well, you think it's wrong, but I... She said, I'm doing what I know is wrong. I know it. She felt as though she had ruined her life, but she didn't know what to do next. And that's when she said, I don't know how I could ever forgive myself and get my life back to where it was. She was in the winter of her sin, stuck in great, gritty drifts of guilt. It was the bleak midwinter of her young life. And I can imagine that even if you haven't done what she did, some of you hear Psalm 51 with that kind of old-fashioned guilt. But I can also imagine that some of you hear Psalm 51 and you'll listen to this sermon in a very different way, in a way that says, oh, forget about that, for goodness sakes. You will dismiss Psalm 51 because you've been drinking. Drinking at the wells of postmodernism. A lot of you know what that is. It's the philosophy that says everything's relative. There's no real truth. It's just your truth and my truth. There's no real right and wrong. It's you think this is right. I think this is right. Who knows? Everything's relative. For people who've been drinking at the wells of postmodernism, there's no such thing as real guilt. There's just guilt trips that preachers lay on people when they preach on Psalm 51. And so if you've been drinking at those wells, you're going to hear this sermon and probably wave it away. You won't think it's important. You won't think it's true. You'll just say, whatever, dude. Whether you can relate to that weeping or that waving away, I invite you this morning to set aside your sorrow or your skepticism and listen carefully to what David has to say in Psalm 51. He discovered something that I think you'll want to know about. He discovered that it's possible to start your life over again. To have a whole new life, even though you think you've ruined it. Did you, did you pick up some of that language here in Psalm 51? The kind of things he says about what life can be. He talks about 
your ears being able to hear joy and gladness again, about your bones, your body, which has felt crushed by the burden of guilt, being healed again, about having a heart that is pure and a spirit that's steadfast, about feeling close to God again, about knowing that the Holy Spirit actually does live within you, he says, you know, folks, it's possible to know what he calls in verse 12, the joy of your salvation. You can have a new spring even after the winter of your sin. If God washes you, you can be whiter than snow and start life over. The problem is that it doesn't always work that way, does it? It hasn't for you, perhaps. You have confessed your sin until you're blue in the face. You've heard assurances of pardon from the pulpit or from your Bible or from friends over and over again. And yet there is deep in your soul a hard clump of unresolved guilt. Frozen there like some dirty pile of snow at the edge of a mire parking lot. It's just there. Or perhaps you keep driving down the same road of sin because you're caught in the ruts of ice, icy old habits. Or maybe you keep swerving off the road with new sins because you have this amazing ability to justify whatever it is you want to do. Our lives are, isn't this true? Our lives are so much what they are so deep and frozen that we can't really find forgiveness and, and cleanness and a new beginning. Well, if you've ever felt that way, let me tell you about an aha moment I had a while back that it, it gave me some understanding of what it takes to be able to experience the warm joy of this promise for the bleak midwinter. Happened back at my last church, La Grave. We were in the coffee area at 10.30 or so, sharing our morning cup of coffee. Our administrative managers, assistants rather, were talking about a new computer scanner they had gotten. This was a while back. You can tell it was new. Scanners are old stuff now. They had just got this new scanner that was able, they told me, that was able to take a page out of a book or a manuscript of some sort and scan it into the computer. Amazing. You just run the page through the scanner or the scanner over the page. I wasn't sure then, not sure now how that works. I'm not a techie, so just bear with me here. I'm telling you a story. And what you scanned is now a part of your computer. Everything that was on the page is now in your computer. The problem was, back then, that you couldn't do anything to what you'd scanned in. It was there, you just couldn't, you couldn't correct it, you couldn't revise it, you couldn't edit it, until that day when they got some new software that made it possible 
to do that. You could now fix it. In fact, as they were talking about it, a member walked in with a, a mission letter. He wanted scanned in and sent out, and as he handed it to the administrative assistant in charge of such things, he said, oh no, there's a typo. I'll have to retype the whole thing and bring it back. She said, no, you don't have to. We'll scan it, put it in, use the software, revise it, and send it out. Voila, just like that. Now, I, I'm always intimidated by whiz-bang technology. I'll admit it but I cover it with sarcasm. So I said to everyone who was there, how long do you think it'll be before people are able to scan in a human life? And using some unimaginable software, edit a life so that it's totally perfect. No typos, no errors, no mistakes, no little sins, no big sins, no old habits, no inherited depravity, just totally perfect. To which someone said, it's already been done. And I said, aha, wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Now that helped me, maybe it, it's not helping you yet, I'm going to try to help you understand it. That helped me understand why some of us are stuck in the bleak midwinter of our sin. It's because we haven't scanned our sin and we haven't used the new software yet. You have to do both, scan and software. Let me see if I can help you understand that. A scanner reads every single thing on the page, right? Even if you get a little nick of your pen on the page, that'll go right into the computer when you scan it. Well, oftentimes when we scan our sins, we're not as thorough. When we confess our sins, repent of our sins, we're not as thorough. And so David helps us here see what we need to do to be washed whiter than snow. Look at how he begins. Verse 1, have mercy on me, O God. And then what's next? According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. He doesn't say, have mercy on me, O God, because of my good intentions. According to my good intentions. Have mercy on me, O God, according to my relative innocence in life. Have mercy on me, O God, according to my faith. No, have mercy on me according to your love and compassion. To be washed whiter than snow, you have to get rid of any idea that you deserve it. It's just love and compassion. In fact, in verse 3, David says that being washed whiter than snow depends on knowing exactly the opposite of your deserving. Notice how he says it, for I know my transgression. Wash me because I know my sin. Often we don't. We don't know our sin because there's this thing called denial. That's not a river in Egypt. It's a psychological weapon we use to defend ourselves from what we did wrong. 
We want to put our sins behind us and walk away. And David says, if you do that, you won't walk away. You have to keep your sin, he says, before you. My sin is always before me. It has to be before us long enough for us to see its ugliness. Otherwise, we won't be washed whiter than snow. Now, David did keep his sin in front of himself long enough to be able to say in verse 4, against you, you only have I sinned. Are you having fun yet? No, of course you're not. This isn't fun, but it's fruitful. And when he says that against you and you only have, have I said, it sounds as though he's brushing aside what he did with Bathsheba and what he did to her husband. But that's not what he's doing. David has stared at those terrible acts long enough to realize that what he was doing when he did that was rebelling against God. He was saying to God, I don't care about your rules for marriage. I don't care about your love of life. I'm going to do what I want to do. And he says, that was against you. So what I did was not just follow my desires and take care of business. What I did was, did you hear it? He says, evil. To be washed whiter than snow, we have to admit that our sins are downright evil. David did. And in fact, he goes a step beyond that. He says, it isn't just what I did. It's who I am. Verse 5. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. In other words, he's saying my sin is not some rare aberration in the life of somebody who's basically good. It's not just that I'm a really good person who in this case made a mistake. He says, no, I am a born sinner. I have been inherently, genetically disposed in the direction of sin. That's who I am. And that's why he goes on to ask in verse 10, create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. I know, God, that I am not where I need to be. This is so important. We think we can't really do this until we're right. He said, no, no, no. You do this because you're not. And you say to God, I, you're the only one that can change me from within. You're the only one. Before we can be washed whiter than snow, we have to be willing to stop the sin we're committing. We have to make a break with what we're doing. And and there are many times where we simply don't want to. We're sorry, but we don't want to stop. And we can't. You, you know what that's about. You have, have habitual sins that you've tried to stop a hundred times and you can't. And so how can you say, oh God, forgive me because I'm going to stop? Well, David puts it exactly right in the last words I read this morning. He says, Lord, grant me a willing spirit. 
a willing. At least, Lord, make me willing to want to try to stop. Not that I can, not that I will. Give me a willing spirit. Change me, O oh God, from within. The question is, how, how can we be changed from the inside out? Lots of people try to change themselves from the outside in. I'm going to change this or that about myself. If we do what David says here, will that change us from the inside out? No, it won't. Many, many people, many of us have tried to do that and it doesn't work. I think of Martin Luther as the, the prime example of someone who tried to change himself dramatically. You remember the story of what he did. He went to church all the time. He read his Bible all the time. He prayed all the time. He was on his knees all the time. He did penance all the time. Hail Mary, our Father. He climbed the steps of the church till his knees were bloody. And it didn't work until he discovered the good news of what God has done to wash us clean. You all know what it is. He created new software. God entered a soft human body. A soft, cuddly baby. We call the software the incarnation. We call the software Jesus who grew up as a flesh and blood human being so that he could take into his body, into his body, our sins and die for them on the cross so that his blood, as we've already sung, could wash us clean. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes us white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Now, you've heard that hundreds, thousands of times, and you believe it, I'm sure. And yet, some of us are still stuck in those great, gritty drifts of sin. How can that be? How can you believe the good news and still be stuck in sin? Well, I wonder if it's because you haven't installed the software yet. I mean, you know the gospel, you believe it's true, but it's still in the box. It's still in the book and you haven't installed it yet into your own heart. I don't know if I'm talking to anybody here that needs to hear this. Maybe you don't. Take a little nap while I finish this then. But maybe it's the case that you've sat in church for years and years. Maybe you're 10 years old. Maybe you're 110. But you have never really invited Jesus Christ to take up his residence in your heart. You've never installed the software. You've heard it and you've heard it and you've never done it. Well, then, of course, you can't be washed whiter than snow. You don't have the new software. Or maybe you have done that. You're saying, look, 
preacher, other preachers have said this to me, and I know Jesus is in my heart, don't tell me that. Maybe it's because you're not using the software. You're not walking by faith in Jesus. You're walking by faith in yourself. Even though he's there. I mean, this happens. The Apostle Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The life I live by faith in the Son of God. It's entirely possible that although we believe this stuff, we're living each day by, by looking at the sin in our lives rather than by looking at what Jesus has done in our lives. We're not walking by faith, we're walking by sight. Could that be? If you're not whiter than snow? It's a warm promise for the bleak midwinter. If you have come clean before God about your sin, if you've been cleansed by Jesus Christ, then you have been washed whiter than snow. No matter how you feel, you've been washed. And this day is spring, the springtime of your soul. May it be so today and every day. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you for shedding your blood so that we could be clean in spite of the fact that we are not. Help us to believe the gospel. Help us to believe that you have done all this for us and it's true and we're different even though often our lives seem very much the same old, same old. Lord Jesus, I would be very happy if no one needed to hear this sermon. But if there's one person here who has not yet invited you in, I pray that this will be the moment he or she does. And if we've discovered that our eyes have been focused on ourselves and our sins rather than on you, our Savior, we pray that now we'll make a decision again to use the software, to trust in you, to live our lives as people who have been forgiven, who are being cleaned, who are going to have today the experience of joy and peace again. Lord Jesus, hear us and do these things to us and for us, for we pray it in your name. Amen.